but a lot of it is is as our job as parents is to unlearn some of the things that we've taught paths that are no longer viable doesn't mean that they didn't ever work it just means that given the way that the world is now the likelihood that they work for you is slim and the likelihood that they work for your children is even slimmer and yes. so being open to learning new lessons about how commerce is done how money is made what the options are for our children is very much essential to to our role as parents and i'm not sure that our parents felt the same burden when they were raising us so here's the big question have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money i've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early i've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy entrepreneurship and a successful mindset join me as i interview some of the world's most successful business owners coaches and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn, but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome back to Money Talkers with your host, Cody Laughlin. I have Julian and Kirsten Saunders here from me and Success Magazine Money Editors. This powerhouse couple runs the award-winning blog, Rich and Regular, which is fantastically laid out, and an authored a forthcoming book. After their first argument about money in 2012, the couple knew there had to be a better way to tackle difficult conversations about money with each other, as well as their friends and family. Over the next five years, they paid off $200,000 in debt, dramatically boosted their net worth and learned a lifetime of lessons along the way. And they've used their experience to create a community of like-minded people with a clear mission to inspire better conversations about money in order to achieve financial success. I would absolutely consider myself part of the community of like-minded people in the money talking uh, space. And so I'm happy to have you guys here. Thank you so much for having us we are so excited for this conversation you know i i love that in your introduction that you actually talk about you know that we had these arguments and we had to be a better way to talk about it and we wanted to pay these debts off and like it, it is the story of so many families that have made it out to the other side and so i'm curious as you know with that as part of the introduction like those arguments how have they shifted from where they started to where their their conversations now Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> that's such a great question because you're right. Initially, like our, our early arguments were just about um, how we were how we were acting on the advice that was out there. So how we were budgeting, how we were spending, how we were you know managing month to month. And now the arguments are so much more philosophical to the point where they don't necessarily feel like arguments. You don't feel like you're up against like this prevailing advice. It feels like you're trying to form an opinion about something. And so it's a very different space to be having arguments now versus back then where it was just like, you know, trying to figure out how we measure up to Dave Ramsey or Susie Orman's, you know, three or four steps. Now it's just, it's far broader. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think that, you know, it, it's also fair to say that at the time we were also very much 
still getting to know each other and also still trying to understand our own philosophies and understandings of how money works right so at that moment which I think a lot of other couples go through you've got you're trying to figure out and make sense of the information that you've been given or that you agree with that other person is interpreting that um, or their own set of information you're trying to get to know each other this is one of the reasons why I think people just avoid the subject altogether because there's so many variables that no one has control over. And it doesn't even include a lot of the work that so many people haven't done, which is to understand what got them to where they are. Like what were the childhood influences? How did your parents or your environment shape the way that you view money? You don't even really start to crack that nut until you're forced to. And in our case, you know, it wasn't until we started to try to blend our lives. And so it, it was a bit um, rocky to start. <laughs> You know, I just had a thought of it. So it, um, one of the things I like to tell people about is that you have a money story, right? And so you have these chapters that start in the beginning and you've been built through. And a lot of times it's as a kid and parents and household. And then your experience as a young adult and a teenager. And then you're going into. And so you take this story where you have your character development and your other person has their character development, in their own book. And you're like trying to meld it together to make a new book but you got all different characters and, and backgrounds that go into it. And I would just kind of popped in my head. I was like thinking about like the Marvel movies, you know, where like you've got like Captain America and Thor and like all these different like characters, Black you know, Panther. and like, yeah, you've got all, and they're all coming. And all of a sudden there's a movie and they all work together. And it's like, wait a minute, right. how did that happen? So uh, I just kind of was a thought as I was thinking through like money stories, but that's really what you have to do is kind of define like when you get in those young relationships, like uh y- you're making the assumptions that they had the experiences you had to in the, in the argument without trying to get to the next spot. And I, I agree with you. I think that's really difficult in young marriages, but, it, and you, I think you hit the nail on the head. A lot of times we just avoid the conversation expecting it to get better. Right. Yeah. Especially if you're having fun, right? Yes. Like if you're having fun, <laughs> things are hot and heavy and you're traveling and you know, everything is going well. The last thing you want to do is be the finger that stops the record you know, and oftentimes like that's where a lot of these taboo subjects come into play. And so um, we just realize, you know, in part through our own sort of work and entrepreneurial experiences that there oftentimes is a lot of value on the other side of conflict, assuming you can approach that conflict with courage and respect uh, for the other person and the other experiences. On the other side is really where that great breakthrough is. And that's sort of what grounds us is that understanding that whatever that argument is, whether it's today or two years from now, we believe enough to know that, hey, when we're done with this, we will have a new understanding of each other and a much sharper ability to sort of navigate similar conflicts going forward. Yeah, you know, it's almost like you got to set the rules to the game. Yes. Right. And if there's some rules where there's some boundary pieces where you say we're not going there and we're not going here, now we can have a conversation that's we have an end goal to like it's almost like a football field right like you've got an end zone and you're like we want we both want to get there we might argue over the plays but we can't go out of bounds and attack each other right (laughs) and we actually have like our version of flag on the play it's like a little safe word that we say (laughs) we think you're going too far where it's like our word is donuts so we'll be like you know donuts like we need to table this conversation it depends on how loud you say donuts too right donuts and i love that because you get that clear head and you come back and you actually you know if, if i think if you both realize there's a goal to get to on the end and you establish that goal um and you all work in the personal finance space too and it's like 
you see so many people that, you know, like I want to spend less money. It's like, why? I should, I should want to spend less money. Like, no, but like, why do you want to go? Where do you want to go with it? What do you, what's the goal to get to it? And without setting that thing together and it works the same way in those conversations, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think the hard part is setting it together. I think it's very easy for people to have individual goals and you hope that they're aligned and they're directionally the same, but coming together and setting one that you have to work as a team on is pretty key in making sure that the family moves forward towards the same direction. We had a we had a conversation with a couple that's been married, I think 14 years, something like that. And we were asking them, you know, how often do you all talk about money? And they were like, uh, once. And we were like, once a month, <laughs> once a week, once a year. And they were like, once a marriage. <laughs> it was like the only time they'd ever had it. And they both had these individual goals and they had a shared generic goal, which was like generational wealth and just like a happy family. But there wasn't a shared financial goal that they were working towards. And I think that's a good first step for people to pick, even if it's something as simple as I want to make sure that we have at least one month's living expenses saved up in cash somewhere. Just that the nature of having a shared goal that can be measured and tracked is really important for families to get, you know, on the same page. I love that you said measured and tracked, right? Yeah. Because if you don't have a goal, you can't make a plan. Right. Because where, where are you going? You know, it doesn't so exactly. I, I think that's where you see a lot of people flailing. Um, especially in the debt conversation, because it starts to creep up and it's like, it'll fix itself. We're okay. We'll just make more, you know, and those kind of things. And so, um, uh, how did, so how did, how did you guys decide that that was enough that, you know, like you said on the, in your bio that you, you paid off the $200,000 in debt, like you had, you just had enough of it. Was it the pain was enough to be there? What, what was it that kind of drove you to sit down and have these conversations? You know, so much of this is really just about a feeling. And for us, we were very, very career driven. I remember uh, this time, five years ago, we were actually on our honeymoon. And that's when we realized, quite honestly, just how tired we were. Like we were both successful in our jobs. We knew that if we continued to make what we were making, or even a little bit more, that we would be able to crush a lot of our financial goals and everything would be fine. But what we really didn't um, do a good job of tracking or measuring was the sort of impact that that kind of work and working at that pace and everything that we were giving up, what kind of impact would that have on our relationship? What impact would it have on our ability to raise a child, assuming we would want one a few years later? Um, how does that work with our abilities to care for or be a part of our parents' lives as they got older? And so mm -hmm. as we started to just kind of project into the future and think about how these two things could coexist we really just couldn't find a way right the reality is if you're going to continue to crush it at your job and be absolutely focused on your career it's going to come at a cost and we just reached a point where we said all right we've got to get a little bit more creative continue to um, identify explore and, and tackle new ways of gaining more control of, of our ability to earn more whether it be real estate or investing or side hustles or whatever and so that was the real impetus for us it really kind of started with like not just our own relationship but just thinking about family and wanting to make the most of the moment that we were in and I think we underestimated how hard it would be to keep the same pace so what is that you watched a documentary about Olympians what was it the cost of the gold or something ah uh, yeah something I think it's the weight of gold weight of gold something to that effect but it's, it's really yeah it was an eye-opening stat because when you think about Olympians, at least when I do, I think about like high performance, mm -hmm. right? And uh, these are people that were willing to do everything that it took 
in order to just even get a fighting chance or a shot at winning the gold. And, and when I thought about them, I thought about a lot of similar types of personalities that exist in corporate America today. They are high performers. Uh, but what that documentary showed is that, you know, after the Olympics, whether they won or not, it was almost like, do it again. Do it again. Or, yeah. or what did do I do better. that for? God forbid you actually didn't win the gold. And so they all sort of ended up kind of spiraling a little bit. Uh, and I think we see very similar sort of um, life situations with just standard hardcore workers, people that are gung-ho about their jobs. Um, and so, yeah, for us, it was just about trying to help people find that ever so elusive balance of work and life and family and all of those things. Yeah, you know, I was talking with someone, um, there was a point a uh, few years back where uh, I was working like 70 plus hours a week. Oh and, uh, you know, the, it, it was, it was, it wore on me really, really bad. That was my like, you gotta get out of this thing. Cause like, I, it, I got that same, like, I, this is, I can do this, but I don't want to do this. This is not, and it took a while to get out. Cause once you get trapped into certain things, you, you have to really set a goal to get back out. And I did, but one of the things that, you know, I, I, when I got done, you know, and I had sold these companies, got out and, and I was got really like bored. Right. And I was like, just, I was like agitated kind of all the time. And then and somebody asked me like, well, why do you feel that way? I'm like, cause I mean, I feel like a shark. Like I gotta keep moving. You know, I want, I'm, I want to get more and more and go. And they're like, dude, you're not a shark. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, you know, I guess I'm not, you know what I mean? But I had like kind of driven this mentality of like this hustle mentality of like, I've got to work more. And it was, he was like, man, at some point you just don't, man. Like you don't, there's a lot of people that don't, you know, you have to think. And all, all I ever wanted was to not be in that mentality all the time. Cause I was in it, but when I got out of it, I still had that mentality of like, I needed to be moving forward and, and, and changing things constantly. And uh, sometimes we just need to realize that, you know, for me, it was, I wanted to be home with my kids. You know, I, I wanted to be there at their practices. I wanted to coach little league. Like I wanted to do these things. And so that was always my why when it was like, you know, hey, do you want to know, you know, I hate to use a coffee example because it's like one of my least favorite things with the Dave Ramsey stuff. But, uh, you know, um, but, you know, it's like, do you want to go out to lunch? And I was like, no, I got leftovers. And they're like, I was making a substantial amount of money, but I was like, no, I have a goal. It wasn't because it was like just be, just the fact I needed to save the money. It was because I wanted to go coach Little League at some point, yes. you know, and that why became so big to me that it was it was really easy to just once I identified the goal to not the things I took away didn't bother me anymore. I just identified what was important, you know? I love that. I, that's, I've, I've long held, you know, so we are, for lack of a better word, members of this fire movement, if you will, that's been yeah. uh, kind of making its way in, in, in the larger, larger part of personal finance in the last couple of years. But I think one of the biggest untold stories of that movement or this movement, I should say, it's exactly what you said, which is, one of my favorite parts, which is this um, emergence of fathers wanting to be more active than let's say the standard playbook or definition of fathers has been in this country. Um, and I have a very similar story. One of my motivations was that I just wanted to be there. I, I really wanted to be there. In, even in the early days, I wanted to be there to help support 
uh, my wife after she had a child, but because my job didn't have paternity leave or we didn't have all of these other things, we had to essentially burn up all of our personal days and vacation days just to be the type of father that I told myself I wanted to be. Yeah. Uh, and so even in those early days, I realized that as much as I am good at my job uh, and have been and can continue to do this for a long period of time, where will that get me 10 years from now, right? Will I be in a position where, again, I will have built those kinds of relationships or maintain the relationships with my kid um, or be a better part of uh, society or do a little bit more community service work, et cetera. So it really does, um, you know, obviously boil down to the numbers, like how much is enough, uh, but then you've got to be able to combat a lot of those cultural and social forces and be willing to say, hey, I don't want to be that person anymore. I've done that. I have earned enough for what I need. And now I can just transition away and start focusing on some of the other parts that I actually believe are more important to me than just always wanting to earn more, work more, and be better at some of those other things. Yeah, I feel like sometimes those lessons can only be earned by doing those things, right? And so um, as I talk to different people like yourself that have transitioned through and had that feeling that were successful and push that you know themselves so hard that they realize they didn't want to be pushing themselves so hard to that there was another way right there's a door to open to it um i think about that and i think of like how like i had to retrain my brain at like 30 years old right because i had realized that i had been living like it, i had made up my own falsehoods in my head about these ways i saw things and so i think about today like that's part of what i want the money talker movement to happen with with parents connecting to kids is like, instead of having to retrain your brain at 30, how do we train our brain at 15, you know, or 12 or or 27? Because when they come out of school, if you had that financial knowledge and you had that financial, uh, I guess I want to say support, not in the financial support, but you had that like emotional support about finances that you would be able to go out and take on the world and solve bigger problems uh, as an, as an entrepreneur, as a, as a human out there that you didn't, you didn't saddle yourself with a debt trap that's sitting like a monster, you know, bear trap when you come out of high school, you know? Yep. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, go go ahead. (laughs) I was just, I was just going to reinforce what you're saying because I agree so much that a lot of it is, is as our job as parents is to unlearn some of the things that we've taught paths that are no longer viable doesn't mean that they didn't ever work it just means that given the way that the world is now the likelihood that they work for you is slim and the likelihood that they work for your children is even slimmer and so being open to learning new lessons about how commerce is done how money is made what the options are for our children is very much essential to to our role as parents. And I'm not sure that our parents felt the same burden when they were raising us. I can't help but to share this story. Um, And so I apologize in advance if I'm getting a little bit too personal, but I mentioned before we hit the record button, we're on vacation. Mm -hmm. Um, This is our, this is my fourth time here, but this is our second time here in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, Right now, my mother uh, is at the Children's Museum with, our son. Uh, Now one part, you could slap our hand and say, why are you working on vacation, right? Great. This is a tiny sliver of time and we sort of committed to this perfectly fine with that. But the bigger picture is that even though we were driving here, 
um, just because we had two and a half hours to fill as we were going from Atlanta <laughs> to Greenville. We were done singing we songs. We were done singing songs. And I asked my mom, I said, you know, can you like, did you ever take vacations as a young woman, as a young mom? And she really couldn't think of it. And so I, I thought, I felt pretty proud of the fact that, you know, while it's a little heartbreaking for me to know that my mom had never taken a vacation, she had taken day trips and she would say this, yeah, well, we went to, because she lived in New York, but she was like, oh, we'd go up to Pennsylvania for the day, or we'd go to New Jersey for the day. But she'd never been able to just completely unplug from work. She'd certainly never been able to take time to just spend with family or to build new relationships or, or try new things. She's just never really had an opportunity to do that. And so when I think about what success looks like, when I think about the kind of life that I want us to be living this is the perfect example for me, right? We've got a simple glass of wine. We're in a nice, simple, you know, low-key vacation. We get to build uh, bonds with my grandmother. We get to take, I'm sorry, with my mom. Our son is building relationships with his grandmother on his own. You know what I mean? And so these are the types of things that I think a lot of people flat out miss because they design their lives in a way that is quite honestly work obsessed. They only focus on work and everything else comes second or third. And the reality is they never get to those things. And so we're sort of trying to find a balance and more than anything, trying to live by example. I think you said something key there, like you designed your life. Yeah. How many people don't design their lives? Oh my God. The majority people. of people we meet do not you, design their lives. At all. And no. we were there too. Like I said, there was a... I, in it where our personal finances were measured by how well we were following someone else's advice. We never stopped to think like which pieces of this advice best suit the kind of life that we want to live. We just took it all like buff, like just took it all in. And we would have been better served if we had just taken, you know, in the Dave Ramsey example, the baby steps that most apply to the life that we want to live. Or in Susie Orman's example, like the advice that specifically is like for us. We never took a second to just figure out like, hmm, maybe we don't want to pay off our mortgage. Maybe we want to rent or be, you know, location independent or live overseas. We just, we never did it. And so it, re it resulted in a lot of shame and a, that lack of critical thinking cost us a lot of time and a lot of money before we figured out like, what is the right path to actually design the life that we, we want? How do we get pieces of advice from a bunch of different sources and a bunch of different people and experts to figure out like what best work what works best for us and our family. I feel like that word shame is the is the birdcage for yes. most families, right? Like we just we we get in those we get in that route and then we start comparing everything to everybody else and like everybody else has this figured out. So I'm not going to talk about it and look like the idiot that doesn't know what what they're doing right and I don't know what I'm doing wrong and I don't want them to know and you know and it's like this mental birdcage that keeps us from having these conversations, which when I found out, like I, I mentioned off air before you guys, like where I got in like this unbelievable hole that I just didn't care anymore. I was like, you know what? I don't care. Like, this is what happened to me. And I started telling people and I was like, dude, I was like, I'm a 500 credit score now because I've got all this debt and I've got this IRS stuff and please don't do like, dude, just do. And I, what I found was people were like, well, what do you know about this? You know? And it was like, we started talking and then everyone was kind of like the guard came down and it was like, wait a minute, it's okay to be, it's better to be around like-minded people, you know, like they, they are going to have these conversations with you so that you get better because like, it's like, you guys talked about like having your own goal to get to when you've got a hundred people around you doing the same, trying to get to the same goal, you've got a hundred different plays in the mind for the football team. Right. And so yeah. you can pick the best ones or, 
Hey man, how'd that work for you? Or how'd this work for you? And like those conversations come down, those walls come down around money and conversations. Like it, it's only beneficial to the entire group. And the bigger the group gets, the weird thing is the more beneficial it becomes, right? Oh my God. Yeah. And this is honestly the most underrated part of building that community is that you actually become more helpful to other people. So before when you'd get bummed, when somebody tells you like, oh, I just left, lost my job, I'm down and out, you know, I've got a 400, 500, 400, 500 credit score. You, when you'd hear other people's bad news, you'd assume that it was doom and gloom for everybody, or that's just the world, the way the world works. Yeah. But once you start to meet that community, you can then be helpful to other people. You can direct them to resources that maybe didn't apply to you, but among the hundred conversations you've had, you realize like, oh, there's a remedy for people who have medical debt. There's a solution for people who have student loans. And you start being kind of the air traffic control and helpful to other people. And to your point, like that, that what that does for your self-confidence, what that does for your, for your money confidence is immeasurable. It feels really good to be able to not just like be a sponge of other people's money problems, but to actually help them see that there's a light and a way for them as well. If I, if I hadn't been willing to start talking about those things, there's, a, there's something that happened uh, in one of the last years of one of my company where we helped, uh, we helped 10 different families buy their first home. Wow. Right? Because I, had 100, I had 110 employees, but out of the one year, we had 10 employees buy their first home. And I, what happened was I was walking through and I was talking to one of the technicians and he was like, man, you know, like I really want to buy a house. And I was like, well, what's keeping you from doing it? And he was kind of surprised that I wasn't just like, I know, right? You know, and like walked off because that's what we normally, that's what, I mean, that's the, the, that's the, the societal piece is to just be like, me too, man, or you can do it or like, you know, it's whatever. You'll never do that. Market's too high. Or like, yeah. you know, there's always like some just unuseful piece of information. Yeah. So I stopped. And I said, man, what's stopping you? And he was like, well, my credit. And I was like, well, what's wrong with your credit? And he was like, I, I don't think it's good. And I go, what is it? And he goes, I don't know. And I go, do me a favor, come to my office at five o'clock, you know? And I was like, he's like, yeah. So he came in. I said, do you know how to pull your credit? He said, no. I said, watch this. Spearing.com pulled all three credit bureaus. I said, I said, do you want me to go through this? Can I go through this with you and show you how to improve this by, you know, 40, 50 points in the next three or four months? And he was like, you could do that. And I go, yeah, yeah. So we sat out and we just circled things. And he was like, oh, I didn't know that was on there. Oh, that affects that. Yeah. And we just sure enough bought a house a month and a half later. Wow. Right. Popped a score like 30, 40 points. Cause he has carrying all these balances on things and just, you know, educational pieces. And I kind of thought at that moment, I'm like, if I hadn't been willing to talk about how bad I failed to other people, that I wouldn't have had the confidence to help him lift him up to do those things. And so once that word got out that I did that conversation, all of a sudden, just randomly, some a different employee would kind of pop in like, hey, man, could you help me do that? Because it wasn't weird to talk about anymore, you know? That's incredible. That I am, yes, I know listeners can't see this, but my, my neck is hurting because I've been <laughs> We're like, oh, you're <laughs> bobbing my head as if, yeah. But, but I've had such a similar experience um, and it was such an aha moment for me. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why, you know, not to sort of toot our own horns here, but I actually focus less on education and more so on storytelling when it comes to our platform. We were, um, we were, we were late to stories, not to, to, to education, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For us, it's, it's, I've just found that to be far more effective with the people that we're communicating with. 
It's helping them see themselves in the stories that we're telling. Uh, but that starts with someone being willing to be vulnerable. Uh, and it. for me, it started with us being willing to be vulnerable, admitting both the wins, because that does require vulnerability. Because to your point, if you celebrate your wins publicly in a place while most people are sort of embracing the pain of something, you get sort of flagged for being obnoxious or being a showboat. Um, it just depends on the day, right? You can never really win with that thing because it's up to the majority. But the other side of that is like being honest about your failures, being honest about your struggles. And so for us, it's been a heavy focus on storytelling, which also happens to be part of this process that we enjoy. But it's also focusing way more on the social and the cultural norms that shape our decision making far more than like leading with data. When I line, line up or plot out all of the conversations that I've had where I've been trying to convince someone to think differently about something, leading with data or telling them that I found an interesting statistic from a report, whether it be a Harvard Business Review or a Pew Research study, that just doesn't work nearly as effective as me telling them a story about someone that I met for the very first time who shared with me about this is what they did with their credit score and all of a sudden they were able to go from here to here and now they're living happily ever after. Like for some reason, that's just the way that our brains and our hearts work. And so for us, since our goal is to inspire very much like you, like better, richer conversations about money, because I think so much of our life or people's lives would be vastly improved if they've started there. It's like, all right, well, how do we get more people to those conversations? And so that's really been a bit of our life's work. And it's been really, really cool uh, to do that. I, I would tell you that most people kind of give me a like a weird look, you know, and they're like, well, you know, you wouldn't understand. You don't know where I'm at. Like, I'm broke. I can't do that. I can't do this. And I'm always like, were you 700 grand in the hole? Right. <laughs> you had IRS liens, were you in two foreclosures at the same time? Because I was, so you're broke. So what? You're way ahead of where I was, right? Or, right. you know, you've got a career and you just don't know how to do this. Like you have to put the time and effort and to push that. And it's almost like, you know, you have to have some credibility in there with that vulnerability, you know, yeah. and, it's, and, and it's weird because it's like, I could tell you the exact same situation, same information, but unless you knew that there was some real struggle behind to where I got to where I am, which I find that when you talk to most successful people, um, especially through this podcast, because this has actually been like my own, as I told you guys before we got on, it's like my podcast and then everybody else gets to listen later. Like I enjoy it because like I, I it really pulls the curtain back. I've, I haven't met a single person that was like, oh yeah, it was easy, the whole thing. Right. You know, just, you know, just like straight shot to success, like other, you know, contrary to Instagram, it doesn't work that way. But, um, you know, but there's a lot of I, I, like this name of your your blog that really intrigued me, like rich and regular. Right. There, yeah. There is it, it's doable, but it's not what's sellable for, you know, for media, for schools, for financial programs, for people selling courses, for those Instagram guys like they don't, they don't want you to think that it's rich and regular, right? Like that you can go to, you know, Greenville and have, you know, uh, uh, and go to the museum with your kids and your grandma. No, no, no. You got to be hustle grind. You got to be, yeah. you know, uh, you got to be coach of coaches and coaches. And it's like, you got to have, you know, uh, you know, crazy cars and, and flash it and travel to these like exotic places. Like it doesn't, it's a million times easier to do it the other way, but, um, but it's, harder to do the things that need to get there it's not the easy uh, weight loss pill right right yeah. 
Yeah. yeah all, is- all you need is this one little exercise thing and you squeeze your knees together and you're going to lose 80 pounds in a week. And it's like, come on, man. Like it doesn't, finances don't work that way either. Yeah. And, and I will tell you, you know, another part of our life's work is, is cracking that nut. You know, we've yeah. had a very similar conversations. We liken it to bunting. If you're a baseball fan, no one wants to go to the hall of fame uh, for being a bunter, right? <laughs> Everyone wants to be the home run hitter, the strikeout king, right? But the reality is bunting is boring. It is highly effective. Yeah. It works, you know, but no one wants to do that. And so, you know, we've even had to go through our own source of, or sense of dealing with the shame around that uh, because a lot of this, I think, is just core to American culture. We have created this culture that celebrates home run hitters. So it's no wonder no one wants to be uh, a bunter right? Yeah. Or to do all of those other sort of things, those utility role player skills. But the reality is that is possible. And you can live a pretty good life by waking up and bunting every single day. It's not going to make the news. It's not going to make mainstream media. No one's going to want to follow you with the camera to see how you say 30 Which is better, today. to yeah. be clear. So that's also fine, yeah. right? Because you actually, you know, to your point, that's why we sort of called it rich and regular and not rich and famous there's so it's way better in my opinion to not be chased by paparazzi right but to live a really comfortable life that you are in control of that you can define and whether we if we want to turn it up we can if we want to take a break we can but we are in control of that not an employer not the government not some other organization or outside entity we're in control of it because we've designed this life and that's ultimately what we want everyone to be able to do is to recognize that, hey, you, you can listen to my blog or even listen to this podcast, but I don't want to be your guru. Yeah. That's too much work. That's too much pressure, <laughs> first of all. It's way too and much it's pressure. too much work. You That's why I interview that. other people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'll let you guys do the work. It works for me on my podcast, right? So, exactly. you know, I, I was thinking about that too. That like we were talking about like that bunting, but you said it worked consistently, right? It's, it's not, it's not fun. It's not sexy is day in day out, you know, like a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here. And I even think that allows you to go to the home run derby once in a while. Right. So if you build that base and you're, you're dropping those bunts every day, just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, once in a while, you get to take a swing for things because you got the base already, you know, once it's in place, then you have the ability to go out and take a little more risk or take a little, you know, shot at something to, to, you know, if you think that there's a thing to chase, but you've got to have those, you've got to have the foundation, right? You can't put the roof on the house until the foundation's solid. Yeah. And it's just, you know, I, 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 I love that the idea with rich and regular and you guys' pictures flashing through. Cause it's like, y'all are hanging out like libraries and just like out doing stuff like holding, like, it's just, you know, you're eating dinner at the table. Like, but I don't think most people think of wealthy people in that regards, but there's, it, it, there's certain people that get to wealth where they've got this like you know billionaire status and it's like oh i gotta get there there's a way better definition of wealth in my mind right which is where money's coming in and your bills are completely covered and you have freedom to pursue your pursuits yes yes that's exactly what we're trying to to showcase and and make the new ambition we yes. know that the pendulum always swings back like you know american culture goes from one extreme to the other and so right now we're at the extreme flashiness, extreme yep. Kardashian, extreme like <laughs> everything. And we're hoping that eventually we start to recognize that that stuff doesn't, it doesn't mean anything unless you want it to. Like you can pick the things that, that mean something to you and you can build a values-driven life around those things. And that's just as fun and just as fulfilling. 
It always kind of cracks me up. The better off I've gotten, the more I like wearing flip-flops and t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> I am about to purge my, it's been 18 months since I left my corporate job. I still have so many of my work clothes mm-hmm. for whatever reason. I purged a bunch of them, like, you know, when the quarantine started. But now I'm like at the point where it's like, I think I'm ready to like pull the cord and like anything that doesn't have an elastic waistband, like yeah. can just, <laughs> yeah. can just go. That's funny. Well, I, if I packed for this trip and I was like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> I literally, I wear the same, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah I don't <laughs> care anymore. I really don't. I, I've care, I care less and less about those yeah. things. Like going full Marge Simpson. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uniform. I will have my moments, but until those moments pop up, just to your point, like it's, flip-flops and sweatpants <laughs> yeah man that's the way that's the way to do it and that's um i want to ask you one thing before we because we've got to end up so we do the high impact series but um i uh you have um a part on your website that talks about um how to eat uh how to eat better on a budget right because you were a former chef my understanding is that correct that is correct all right so tell me a little bit about this because this isn't just uh, I, I, I jumped on to where the ebook is and it has a bunch of the highlights and those kinds of things. And some of the stuff that you start talking about is a lot different than what most people talk about, which is like couponing and doing those kinds of things. Like I want to know about like boosting your knife skills, mastering the fundamentals of sauteing and braising those kind of things. Like give me a couple tips in there that people could listen to, to that they could implement in their house and their kitchen that uh that they can and then come be able to come find the rest of it from the ebook because it's really in depth yeah so thank you for that um we actually don't talk much about this uh but you're kind of reminding me just how important we believe it is and so obviously food for most people is one of the biggest uh items in your budget right uh, particularly oh, especially today right oh my God. You got a grocery store today and it's like you got a you got a hundred dollars in one day of food and you're like yeah oh, seven dollar cheese yeah. <laughs> We, we've experienced that here. We're on vacation, went to a grocery store and I was like, did, did we save money? I'm not yeah. sure if we yeah, did. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I we probably should just went, up, went out to a restaurant. But um, but no, so for most people at home, right, cooking and, and food and, and groceries is a huge part of their budget. And one of the things that we noticed as we would have these conversations with people is that as they were going through, let's say the debt payoff journey, or even if they were beyond that and were in the process of just really managing their budget, I think that they sort of created these mechanisms that really made that process painful because they almost felt like the objective, which it is, it can be a primary objective, but it's not the only one, was to save money. And they were doing that at all costs. And so the idea of saving money or paying off debt uh, or just sort of trying to manage your budget was almost equated with eating horrible, boring food so long as it was affordable. And what we were trying to do was to help people realize that if you can invest in yourself and master the core fundamental cooking skills, you actually don't have to suffer. It doesn't have to always be a matter of, yes, I spent $2 or $3 on this meal for three people. That's great. But was it good? Did you enjoy it? Are you training your child that, hey, this is, isn't just affordable, but it's also delicious and maybe even nutritious? And so what we've been trying to do is to distill everything that I learned from cooking for over 10 years and from culinary school and even just cooking at home and saying, hey, if you just focus on these core things, you don't necessarily have to mirror exactly what they're doing at Bon Appetit or, you know, 
any of the other sort of fancy television shows. Um, but you don't have to do those things, but just master these core skills, master how to organize your kitchen in a way that makes the cooking process a little less painful. And by simply leveling, leveling up your ability to cook at home, you can both save money and eat really, really well. And so we wrote that ebook so that it was almost like having a chef in your back pocket. Tell me about the knife skills, man. I want to learn one more thing from you before we get out of here. It's hard to kind of talk about knife skills as one of those things <laughs> that you've got to learn. But I will say just having a simple knife will make you, and knowing how to use it, yeah. will make you laugh at all of the infomercials that teach you that, hey, just buy this product for two easy payments or three easy payments. Like you don't need any of those things if you actually have knife skills. And so you can get rid of the food processor, some of the sort of pulsing machines, all the different versions of the Ninja that you may yeah. have. If you just know how to use a knife, you can actually declutter your kitchen, save a bunch of money and save time in the kitchen because you know how to make things smaller a lot quickly. You're just a little bit more empowered. It is, if you ask any chef, what's the most important tool? Uh, what's the one thing that they couldn't live without? I'm willing to bet most of them would say it's a knife and uh, you don't have to be an expert. This isn't an Iron Chef competition. It's really just about being able to be able to cook a good, delicious, healthy, affordable meal at home. And it's really, really hard to do that, especially affordably if you don't know how to use a knife. Well, that's, I'm, uh, I've still got some of that cheapo in me. So like I buy full watermelons and cut them up. I buy, uh, I buy my own fruit and cut it up and do that stuff because yeah. you buy those bowls. Oh, and yeah. I don't know what that guy at Publix gets paid, but he's got to yeah. make, he's got to be making 200 grand a year to cut up oh. watermelon and, and cantaloupe and, oh, yeah melons and put them in those little plastic things and i'm like nine dollars and i'm like nine dollars yeah, you know or twelve dollars some of them you pick up those big bowls and they're like twenty dollars you're like oh i know one bowl of That's fruit one of like, what? favorite examples is <laughs> go to the grocery store look at how much for a fourth of a watermelon then look how much it costs to just to dice it and put it in a plastic container and then look at how much it costs to get like a half or a smaller one right you can yep. see you can actually get more bang for your buck, but if you don't know how to use a knife, or if you only have a flimsy knife or something like that, you're or always- Or if you're using your knife wrong, like right, I yeah. was. You're always going to be paying this built-in premium, whether it be for chicken or vegetables or fruit, you're always going to pay that. And so if you learn how to use a knife, you can probably reduce your food and grocery budget by like a third, because you'll be much quicker and easier uh, or able to- cut things yourself and save a boatload of money. Yeah. I think if people took two minutes to compare the cost between the two, that would be super eye-opening because I do that with my stuff and I'm like, Oh no, no, <laughs> I am not. You know, you're not cutting up my green peppers, right? Like there's no way not for $4 when the right. green pepper costs a dollar. <laughs> right. <laughs> you <know? laughs> right. You know, it just, uh, I was, I saw that on there and I wanted to ask you about it. Cause that's also one of my, my, my pet peeves is the whole, like the cut up fruit thing in oh the, in gosh. the store and it just drives me bonkers. But, yeah. <laughs> um, well, no, but I think so too. I think, I think you made a, hit, made a great point. Like just because you're being aware of, but you, you talked about it basically investing in yourself and then it has a huge payout on the, on the backside of it. Right. Exactly. Being able to cook for yourself, being able to add, make food that's really good. It doesn't take a lot of investing, but making really good food doesn't have to be a like making your own meals at home doesn't have to be a takeaway from going to a restaurant. Correct. I prefer, honestly, at this point in my life, I prefer my cooking off my own grill than I do ever. I never buy steaks out. I never buy things because <laughs> I don't like the way they cook them. Like I might, <laughs> mine is so much better, but it's like, but I, but if I go out and they have something, I don't know how to cook or some pasta dish or something like that's where I, that's the only stuff I order anymore because 
you know, like I, it's something different to try other than, yeah. you know, the skill set. So we're the same person at this point. <laughs> it's like, are we just grumpy and old now? No. Because like, we'll go out and be like, it was okay. It was like, okay. it was, it was yeah. all right. I don't yeah. know that it was $200 good. Like, that's right. Right. Like, and it's yeah. like, you know, that's what I, we have a steakhouse here and I kind of like, like go there and I'm like, <sighs> like one job dude like i know exactly how long it takes on my grill like how is it possible not to know <laughs> you know and so yeah it's uh well listen i i have really enjoyed talking with you guys today we have to wrap it up right now but um uh listen uh julian kirsten um who should come find you and where do they find you at yeah, so we are on every social media channel under Rich and Regular. We're also at our website, richandregular.com, and our YouTube, which is where we host our digital series, Money on the Table. Outside of that, we are the money editors for Success Magazine. You can find us in their community of success achievers, or if you buy the magazine, we have a column every time it comes out. Awesome. Hey, listen, I really want to thank you guys for coming on to Money Talkers with me. It's been a lot of fun, and we're going to swing around for the uh, High Impact Series. Thank you. Thank you, Cody. Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host, Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram at the Money Talkers for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kid's financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker.